intention setting creates momentum because of the behavior that is attached to it, not just because you're putting an intention. Welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where I interview leaders not defined by position or title. Everyday people who lead their lives in extraordinary ways. And on this podcast, they share their stories, their life lessons and practical tools in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. Today, I have the pleasure, absolute pleasure of talking to um, a friend of mine over the last couple of years, Mr. Mark LaRousse, who is the founder, the host of the Unconventionalist podcast, award-winning Unconventionalist podcast, um, as well as international speaker, author, and, and so many other things we're going to delve into today. How are you doing, Mark? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate you. It's an absolute um, pleasure. And in fact, I want to start there with the awards. Like, congratulations. How did it How did it feel? <laughs> yeah, it felt... You know what? It's an interesting one because um, I don't know if people can relate to this. I think I've had a tendency up until recently to not really own or, or talk about what I really wanted, like what I desired, right? Like there was a part of me that if, if I didn't tell anybody, but if I secretly hoped for it, and if I was also open to the idea that I would never get it, then it might just happen. And if it happens, great. But if it doesn't happen, then nobody will know anyway. And I would have—I was kind of ready for it to be a rejection. It's a bit like if there was a like a really hot girl or a hot guy, and you want to go and speak to them, and you're like, well, they're probably going to reject me anyway. And I'm not going to tell anybody I like them, but maybe I'll do a few signs towards them to see if they're in. And if they're not, then that's totally cool. Nobody will ever know, and I don't have to shatter my ego. So that was a bit me around awards and... And that kind of stuff. But this one was a bit weird. It was, I kind of went ahead differently. I said, I want to win this. Like, I actually really, truly believe in my bones that my podcast, The Unconventional Podcast, is one of the best interview-based podcasts in the world. Like, I really believe I that, right? Um, I've been doing it, and thank you very much. And and there's there's a thin line between confidence and arrogance. And I get that. People might go like, well, he's coming across a bit. But the truth is, I've been doing it for five years I've had some incredible guests, and not just because some of them are famous, some of them you've never heard of, but incredible guests who are willing to really get real and open up and talk about their truth, talk about vulnerable moments, open up about things that they've never talked about before in the show, you know, crying. And like, I've had just so many amazing conversations. And for the last four years, I'd, I'd gone for the Best Interview Podcast at another award, and I never, I wasn't even nominated. And this is definitely coming from a place of ego, so just a heads up. I was like, I am way better than some of these who've been nominated and way better than some of them have won. And like, I was like, who, this is not fair and kicking my, you know, throwing my toys out the pram. But then this came up and I, and I went for it and I was nominated and I saw the other nominations. I was like, ah, oh, there's one that's really strong. The other two, I'm very confident that mine is a better show. But this one, man, this, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sorry if I lost to this show. And, and I said it to the world and, you know, this is what I'm saying. Like, I, I basically just owned it. I said... Hey guys, I really want to win this award. I really think the body of work that I've done over the years has given me enough confidence to believe that I can bring it home. I may not win it, but I'm gonna. I'm really gonna do everything I can, and I haven't got it on me. I don't know where it is, but I, I went ahead and printed. This is gonna sound crazy, but I printed a thumbnail of because when you get nominated, they give you like a thumbnail, like you can put on social media saying I've been nominated for this award. And I photoshopped it, and I changed nominee to wow. winner, and I added the unconventionalist. And then I printed that out, and I cut it out in color, 
And every morning, I don't, and this is not me, man, I'm not into this stuff, but I was like a friend of mine, actually a guest who came on my show, Lucy Werner, who came on, on the podcast, told me about how she did this to win a competition and she was laughing, we were laughing about it, I was making jokes about manifestation, all this stuff. And, um, and every day, reluctantly, I would hold this thing and I would be like, I, I am the winner of the... <laughs> Best interview podcast award at the Podcasting for Business Awards 2021. I like really reluctant. Like, I am receiving this with grace and gratitude, and I can't wait for my light to shine for others to shine theirs. Like, I was just going through this whole stuff, and I'm just like, this is absolute bonkers. And um, and then I won it, and then I won it, and I was like, cool, <laughs> awesome. This is awesome. But because I'd been, but here's the thing. I'll say this: is what Lucy pointed out as well, which I thought was really interesting. The act of doing this wasn't what got me the award by any means. Um, the 150 interviews I put out for the last five years, the, the work I did, and the fact that I started visualizing myself as the winner, I started acting more in ways that would help. So I, would, I was speaking about winning the award more. I was promoting the award more. So I would become more visible in judges in some way. So I think there's a thing of saying around intention setting creates momentum because of the behavior that is attached to it, not just because you're putting an intention, right? Like sitting back and going, I want to win the award and wishful thinking and not doing anything is not going to do anything. But I feel there is something in power around setting intention and setting motion um, towards it. Anyway, that was a long answer, yeah. but basically short answer. So I'm, I'm happy. Definitely. I think that's something powerful around, around intention. Um, I had a conversation recently with someone, a coaching client, and we're talking about the fact that when you show up in a particular way, it makes a massive difference to not only you, but to those around you. And there's something around, yes. and we'll say going down this whole rabbit hole of love attraction, all that kind of stuff and going back and forth. I'm not sure if you yeah. believe in all of that or if you, if, you, if you subscribe to that at all. But just like when you show up and you're intentional about it, on your journey, what you find out there are people who start to support you more because you're consistent. And yes. that's why it's so important to show yes. up a particular way. If you show up on your, and you yeah, own it. if you show up with your head held to hell and yeah. you're like, oh, I can't be bothered, people are going to recognize that and they don't want to yeah. subscribe to that. But yeah. when you show up, you're like, actually, yeah. I'm owning this, owning this moment, it makes such a massive impact. Yeah. Well, yeah, imagine like you've got a few uh, horse races, right? And you've got on the track, you've got 10 horses. And on that track, you're going to have five to seven of those horses are kind of looking down. They're just not really into it. They're kind of grazing around. They're not really bothered. They're, you know, flossing their teeth, finding their nails, whatever they're doing. And then there's like these two or three that are really like in it. And they're just like super pumped and they're going to go for it. Like, what would you put your money on? Like, most likely you're going to put your money on those who look like they're in it to win it. And, and I know it sounds weird, but I, I used to say this. Um, and if you've seen my TEDx talk, um, I'm trying to get to a million views this year. So you're almost close. You're almost close. Watching, so we're going to push I'm you. Close, I know. <laughs> I, we've got about 50,000 to go. So we've still got, we've still got a still, a still a few to go. But um, one of the things I was going to talk about, and I, I, I ended up cutting it out of the actual final talk. But the, the, the premise of the talk was around how um, fundamentally we are all uh, designed to seek a sense of purpose, a sense of quest in life, right? Like whether that's I'm going to build this thing or I'm going to create this thing to give, like it doesn't matter like what it is, but we have a sense, we need a sense of meaning and purpose to drive us. And when people struggle to see, oh, but how, how did, what does that look like? Or how that could look like? I was going to use an example of, of crowdfunding campaigns. So like Kickstarter, right? Which is like one of the original big platforms around, around crowdfunding campaigns. These are people who basically record a video about a dream they have, a project they want to put out, effectively a quest, effectively a purpose. And they're asking us 
will you support my quest? Will you support my journey? And we are more often than none, if the project's not totally out of whack, are called to support that journey because deep down inside of us, we want to be on a journey yeah. too. And so when we see someone, right, a woman or a man um, who goes on that quest, we feel compelled and we want to support. You know, I, I use, um, I know we'll talk about it at some point, this is an exclusive for you uh, about my upcoming book. But I use this, I use the case study and I use the example of Cap, um, Sir, Captain Sir Tom Moore um, as an example around this. You know, when he started off trying to do a little something for the NHS, he actually said, I, I, I don't want to draw any attention to me. I, he had a Zimmer frame, his little walker, and he was going around doing a little lap so that his family and his you know, local community could support the NHS. Right? Like he was on a quest. But what happened when the world saw that? What we saw is courage, selflessness, determination, a higher purpose. And we wanted in because there's also an altruistic aspect that it makes us feel better about ourselves to support someone who's doing good in the world. And so when you do good in the world, when you go out and you set yourself up to do something impactful and meaningful, as you exactly said, the world, it's a weird thing. It's like, it's like the alchemist, right? Um, Paolo's book, the world conspires to help you. Like the universe conspires to help you. And it's a weird, it's a weird concept, but it is, it's, but it's, but it ha the intention has to be true. That's the thing yeah. I'll say. I think that that's, that's glad you actually finished on that. No, the intention has to be true. But I think it's very, very easily, a lot of people show up in the fake ways. And you get seen through see it so easily. Like the world can just see through you like, yeah, I'm not gonna buy into that. I used to want my money, you try to scam me, I'm not gonna do that. So the intention has to yeah. be really, really true. And speaking of your book, you're writing mm. around about imposter syndrome. And yeah. that was a surprise when when I first found out about it, I'm like, Mark's Mark's successful. Like you said, five years doing a podcast, previous to that, November, yeah. raising to two point one million. You go to companies and organizations, award-winning speaker, international, all of that. Like you got accolades. You're successful. You're like, why are you writing about imposter syndrome? Well, man, I love that setup of the question so much because um, that is exactly why I'm writing this book because I feel as if there's this dirty little secret, this unspoken secret that we all carry around with us at any given point on whatever ladder you determine to ladder to be, right? Um, no matter what we do, no matter where we are, we all face these fears, these internal dialogues, this self-doubt, this feeling of feeling like a fraud. And I've seen this over and over again. I've seen it in myself. I've seen it with guests I've had on the show, people that you and I both know who we put on a pedestal for some reason or whatever. Everyone goes through it. And yet we don't talk about it. And so... I think, I think it stems from um, a little bit like what you just said, actually. People who kind of will say to me, but you do all these things, then surely you can't be having any of these doubts. I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you know how many times a day I'll think about who the hell am I to do this? What the hell am I doing? Like, I second guess myself all the time and I doubt myself all the time. And I just, I thought it was crazy that we weren't talking about this more in my podcast, like, that is very much what we talk about. We talk about the ups and downs and the lessons learned from both. But really, I try and, um, you know, take off the mask and that we can see the true story behind the veneer that we project to the world. And so what I wanted to do is I realized that there's a, a whole bunch of good people in the world who get stuck in their own way. And what kills me is that 
what happens more often than none is this idea that the only people who can be quote unquote successful, the only people who can be prolific with their profile, building their personal brand, having an impact, being interviewed in all the biggest media opportunities, being on, speaking on the world's biggest stages, um, being featured in some of the best media coverage. The only people that that could happen to are people who are extremely confident, who um, have zero doubt, who are extroverts and well eloquent spoken people. And what I found to be true is that that's just not, that's just false. That's just not the reality. I've got multiple examples I'll be using throughout the book around actually what we found and throughout history, we've seen transformational leaders show up and step up who would by their own making would define themselves as shy, as insecure, as introverts, uh, and dealing with all these things that we all deal. But the difference is, and this is what the premise of the book is, is they found a way to not make that story the story. And, and, and the way I put it is, the story that will change your life isn't the story that you hear or read, it's the story you tell yourself about the stories you tell yourself. And so if you understand that this is part of being human, this is part of, of trying to make a difference in the world, that you are gonna feel all these feels, then what's the next step after that? Right, like once you normalize the discomfort of, of the human experience, what's after that? Well, what's after that is where you put your attention and focus on. And so what I found is that the people I interviewed that separated those who dreamed with those who did, right? Those who were in the shadow and those who were uh, in, in the limelight, if you want, wasn't about how extrovert or socially connected they needed to be. It wasn't about that. It was around, did they have a clear purpose and did they have a clear audience or what I would call audience of one that they were trying to impact and touch? And, and hear me out. So I used to go around and uh, and give talks, right? Like I, used, you know, I started off as a speaker and a coach and that kind of stuff. And the biggest thing I'd get after a speech or a talk at a company, an event, a conference, people come up to me, right? And <laughs> they wouldn't necessarily ask me just like, I'd have questions about the content I was talking about. But the, one, the number one question I'd get is, man, you just felt so comfortable on stage and you just felt like you and you're the same like and you've seen me right you've seen me facilitate right you've seen me facilitate one of, one of the workshops and stuff so you know like it's, it's no bs like you, i am now like the way i am today and the way that you would see me on on the podcast the way you see me on stage i'm the same kind of guy i'll be me a, a little bit louder when i'm on in front of the room but i'm the same and they were asking me like how how do i become a better speaker how do i become like you more engaging and all this stuff and and that got me thinking i was like that that's weird. And so I went down that road to try and understand. I started doing a bit more research around that, so work with a few leaders, entrepreneurs around becoming public speakers, about launching podcasts, about writing books, all this kind of stuff. And man, what was amazing was to see the fears that came up. The exact same fears were everywhere, but just described differently sometimes. But it was ultimately the same fear. It was fear of judgment, fear of shame, fear of abandonment, fear of not being enough, fear of not being lovable. Really, if you, if you boil them down, that's what it all yeah. comes down to, right? Like, if I write a blog post and someone criticizes me, then then what? Does that mean I'm no longer enough? Does that mean no one will love me? That means I'll never get any more clients? Like, you could go, go down that spiral, right? And so once I realized that all these fears were unanimous and universal in all of us, especially the people who are trying to create something in the world, I thought, well, what differentiates between the people who are suffering and staying stuck and those who are showing up and impacting the world right and and so um that's where the premise became oh it's where their attention's on 
And so the attention on those who are stuck is not always, I don't want to make a massive generalization, but tends to be, I'd say, nine times out of ten. Their attention's on themselves. It is, and this is going to sound really harsh for people listening, because usually people are, who fall into this category are big-hearted, kind-hearted, good people. But they tend to be super self-centered in their attention. It's all nasal-gaving. It's like, what will I sound like? Well, how will I come across? What if I make a mistake? Do you see it's I, 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 I? It's all an I. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like the, the capital I, right? Whereas those who tend to be having a bigger impact are very much focused around, I don't have a choice. Like, if I don't do this, people will die. If I don't do this, animals will die. If I don't do this, businesses will fail. If I don't, you know, fill in the blank. And so the simple act of changing your attention from yourself to the thing you're trying to cause in the world is the single act, the mindset shift that differentiates everything from going from an imposter to having an impact in the world. And I used to call this, I used to say, um, when people would ask me that question about what will happen if I make a mistake, I'd say, make the people you serve more important than you looking good. I repeat that. Make the people you want to serve more important than you looking good. Okay? So that's what I used to go. I used to go around saying this. And I'd use examples and metaphors like, imagine a parent, a dad or a mum, right? Um, if something happens to your kid, if your kid's in danger, if something's about to happen to your kid, you don't care what you're wearing, what you're sounding like, you're stepping in there, right? Like, if a kid's bullying your kid in the playground, <laughs> you're just going to go in there and say, hey, that's, that's not okay, that's not cool. But where's your attention? It's not new. You're, you're fully laser-focused on what the situation, and it's, but it's the same thing. And I, and I know this sounds so simple, but this is... What I found, I found that the only difference is, is where your focus and intention is. And then when I was explaining this, I remember Dan said it in a much more, that Daniel Priestley, it's someone we both know, basically said, you know, it's not about being in the spotlight, it's about becoming the spotlight. And that was it. I was like, that's the sentence. That, that is how I'm going to describe it because that is so much more clear, right? And so now it's what I explain to people. It's about raising your profile, having, making a difference, having an impact. It's not about being in the spotlight, it's about becoming the spotlight because when you become the spotlight, you shine a light on the cause, on the problem, on the issue that you're trying to solve, and it's no longer about you. And people will relate to this. It's much easier to stick up for your friend. It's much easier to stick up for something you believe in than, than it feels to stick up for yourself. Mm -hmm. So by losing yourself in the process of focusing on what you're trying to serve and do, you actually become unstoppable. So that's it. That's, that's the premise of the book, and it's to try and get people to understand that there is a way to overcome imposter syndrome, self-doubt, and fear. And the way you do that is how you focus your attention on the people you're trying to serve, not on yourself. Well, even though you focus attention on other people, does that work start yeah. with you? Because you have to shift that, make that mindset shift within yourself. You need to shift those conversations and things that are stopping you from actually taking that, that executing on that idea or that plan or that desire that you have. You need to be intentional, like we talked about at the start, and be like, actually, I'm going to yeah. do this. And then stop worrying about yourself and start focusing on the people. Yeah, the way that I the way that I see it is that it's uh, it's a it's a feedback loop. Okay, so the way that I the way that I kind of try to explain to people is usually this will happen, right? When I work with leaders, entrepreneurs, founders, that kind of stuff, they might be doing X and they might end up doing X, but they sometimes switch to doing Y. And what I mean by that is they might have been on a track and doing it because it's what they've always been doing, but there's a calling of them trying to do something different, but they haven't really given themselves permission to do so. 
And so we'll explore that, right? So that is that does come from a sense of like, hey, there's something inside of me that's churning. I was speaking to a, to a, to a leader yesterday. Um, I was speaking with a leader yesterday about this around, and the way that they described it was, there's a fire inside of me, and I don't know what it is, but it's pointing me towards something. So that comes from a place of there's a curiosity. But usually, what happens are twofolds. When you look at your story and your back your backstory, you start understanding that there are certain milestones, there are certain things that. Um, will shape the work you do today or why you do the work you do today. But you might tell me, so like, you might say, you know what? Um, since I've started doing X, I've noticed Y and it really bothers me and no one's doing anything about it. So you will have noticed from an external a signal, you would have felt an internal trigger or an internal compass of some sort that guides you towards this thing you want to do. But what happens is that in that loop where, it, where, where the loop breaks is you get signal you feel the you feel the internal but then you block yourself right that's where that's where the, usually the friction happens it's not the the world's coming to you and you're going back out into the world that's where the friction happens most of us can identify that we can feel and sense things that are that we want to make a difference about or change in some way but it's the it's the coming out of us that is the problem right so that is where i say where imposter self-doubt fear insecurity all those things show up when they show up that's where you have to go over the prism and kind of go i'm going to focus on that audience of one okay so an exercise that's super easy and I'll, this will be spoken about in the book we go through a series of exercises to try and really go through your fears debunk your fears but also identify who is the one person you want to speak to so i get i get my clients to do this i say if there could be one person in the audience when you're speaking who you change their lives and thanks to your words, to your message, to your story, the trajectory will significantly improve and change thanks to your words. Who's that person? Just one person. I don't care. One person. Usually most people can think of one person. It's usually a younger version of themselves. It's usually a client they've worked with. It might be a family member of theirs, a friend. They usually have that one person. Then the next thing I tell them is, cool, describe to me what's going on in their world. What's the pain? What's happening? what's going on because they haven't heard you yet right now that they've heard of you how is their life going to be changed cool now get a picture i want you to find a picture print that out stick it next to the text if you've got a very real picture stick it if you've got if you don't have a, just go on on internet find a more or less good enough picture that represent that person avatar print it have it on your desk frame it i'm not even joking i get my clients frame that picture and write down i do this for you right and then the way that i see it is like stop being selfish because every time you're stopping yourself in your track, every time you're second-guessing yourself, you're self-doubting, you're not putting yourself out there, you are letting that person down. And that is a choice you've got to live with, right? Like, if you want to live with that choice, that's cool, that's up to you. But every single time I ask my clients the same question, when they come to me with riddle of self-doubt, and even myself, man, when, when, I, when I find myself going, who am I to do this? I always go, the simple question, it's a stupid, silly, and universal question, where's your attention? Yeah. Where's your attention? And and I, I can guarantee you, man, 99.9% of the time, it, it's going to be saying, oh, it's on me. That's powerful. That is a really, really good tool. And I actually can relate to that. I think when I, when I think back over the times I've taken like leaps, major leaps out of my comfort zone, my focus has always been, I'm scared. But then I look around and I look like my wife and my kids. I'm like, that's why I need to do this. Because I know what I'm trying to mm. do, trying to achieve for them. And that's always propelled me forward because intention wasn't about me anymore it was about them 
as one example of self the impact then that can then lead to something else and that makes such a massive difference it's because when you have a higher purpose you can move mountains mm. that's what i talk about like when when you have what i talk about really without explicitly saying but i'm guessing you, you're going to pick up on it, it this idea of focusing on someone else really it's 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 a it's um making the purpose explicit it just it's just having a, a, a something bigger than yourself that drives you because we get out of our own way when we are on a mission like what heroes on a mission we, we just get out of our own ways we just get things done but actually as you said that's something that came up for me you could be doing this for your future self it's going to get a bit meta here so stick with me but you could you could do it for like the person you're about to become right so if if you are at a certain level because i think that is that is very hard to do but if you could go to the point of like i don't know i'll give you an example this is a city example um so imagine i want to get in real great shape right it's this big joke i've always said i want a great shape never have but i've always said like oh, i want a great great shape okay but imagine if i had oh the future me who is in shape who can run with my kids who can you know climb mountains who can go on adventures that's the future me. Imagine if I was projecting on that and the decisions I was making wasn't about me, but about that future me that I was creating. And every decision I was making was either taking me away or towards that future me. I just got lost in the track. That's something I need to play with. But that, that could be another, another perspective of focus. Mm. Speaking of... Um, chew, on, chew on that. I am. So you're talking about, oh, we can go down this rabbit hole. Because <laughs> 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 like it's, it's such a... The concept, like you said, it's so simple, yet it's something that afflicts so many people. And a lot of times I've found that mm. the simple things are the things that elude so many of us. And the way that mm. you're breaking, at, breaking it down now, and I'm sure the more, you're just giving a great tool and a great example of how you break it down in the book and things people can actually take to hand and actually practice. But I'm sure mm. there's a lot more in the book that we people can look into when the book finally comes out. But it just goes mm -hmm. to show that there are times when, when we start to ask the right questions and look at things a certain way, we can start to understand that actually, this is not, I'm holding onto this because I'm looking inward rather than looking outwards. And that's where the difference Yeah, and, and well, here's the irony, right? Because the world's a paradox, the dichotomy of being human. Um, one of the five pillars of becoming an unconventional leader, right, which is what I help people with, is self-awareness. So self-awareness is about understanding self. It's about being clear on what your core values are. It's about understanding what your definition of impact is, what your definition of success is. So that's very internal, right? It's a very... So you've got, you've got to come from a place of I know who I am and I know what's important to me. Um, as you go out into the world... So yes, the way that you get over your self-doubt and, and insecurity and so forth is by stop focusing on yourself and focusing on what matters. And I'm also not saying that you should forget yourself and never focus on yourself, period. Because what then happens, you, become, you, you might become a vehicle for something you don't even know if you're attached to it anymore. Mm -hmm. Right? Like you might, you might end up on, on going running down a lane or running down a course. That doesn't really mean anything, but it just it's the right thing to do. Okay, so... You know, I don't know why I'm thinking about this clubhouse, right? So clubhouse, <laughs> this big thing that everyone's talking about at the moment, right? I mean, like, I, I've been comparing clubhouse to Bitcoin, uh, but that's another conversation. Um, but ima imagine everyone's going on clubhouse, right? And you're going like, oh, I'm a bit fearful of going on clubhouse. I don't know. And then like Mark says, I should be focusing. Okay, yeah, people are going to be on clubhouse. So I'm going to focus. So you go on clubhouse and you spend all this time and energy on going on clubhouse because you're trying to reach the person who's in clubhouse. 
but you didn't actually first check in with yourself that actually an important value for you is spaciousness and connection with your family and spending a minimum amount of time online on screens and therefore clubhouse is most definitely not going to be for you because clubhouse is also known as crack house it's, it's like addictive. an extremely addictive i you know i i decided i was going to do four weeks on it and make a decision about what i was going to do with it and i already know my decision after a week <laughs> but um do you see what i mean so like if you're not careful if you don't do the adequate work of knowing who you are first then you can easily fall into the trap of going after something which isn't aligned with who you are or what you deeply crave for in the world. Um, you know, I have an example of uh, Scott Harrison, right? The founder of Charity Water. And um, I use him as an example. So he, you know, you probably heard the story. He had a hedonic lifestyle of like, he was a nightclub promoter and doing drugs and alcohol and lost his way and all this kind of stuff. And uh, realized that his life was shallow and he wanted to do something different and wanted to go back and give to charity. And so um, he started applying to go to different charity jobs and nobody would take him because he had zero experience in most charities. As I've worked four years in a charity, no, it, it can actually just be a burden to take on people who just want to give charity a, a go, but they have zero experience. Like we don't have time to train you up. We've got, we've got, we've got, a, we've got cancer to cure, suicides to prevent or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and he managed to get this one gig in a in a in a medical uh, boat, um, and uh, as a photographer, and he goes there and he starts seeing some of the most horrific scenes and devastation that he's seen because of unclean water, and how these preventable diseases could have uh, been prevented by having cleaner water, right? And so that then propels him. He's like, I'm going to go back to US and I'm going to fundraise uh, some money for building wells for for cleaner water. So. What he's actually done is that he went back to his core because if you distilled what he realized was that actually at the core, he probably believed if I don't know the man, but if I, if I had to do work with him, I'd probably be like that at his core, he probably believes in, in, in connection, in giving back, in, in doing the right thing. Like all these things that he probably lost his way some way down the line around getting drunk and drugged. Um, and he came back to, right? So so that is just, I just want to put a, a brief, and I hope that makes sense. Tell me if it doesn't, that yes, I'm, I'm saying don't focus on you, focus on the thing you want to do. And I'm also saying you also need to do the internal work of understanding who you are. That mimics. So both, 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 both yeah, are true. Yeah, makes perfect sense. I think very much like you, my, my foundational thing when I do with a lot of, of clients that I coach as well is about you. It's about understanding that actually mm. you are the foundation of everything that you need to build upon. So when you're trying to grow your business, do certain things with your family, all that kind of stuff, if you don't work and if you don't have clarity about certain things, you're never going to achieve mm. those things. You're always going to come across a block time and time again. So it's about understanding you and mm. defining that, that purpose, the values, all that kind of stuff. And they can start yes. to build on top of that to start doing more and more things, which flows exactly into what you're talking about as well. Yeah, because of the worst, what you're also pointing to, the worst is not just knowing what to do next but knowing that what you're doing is a waste of time because there's nothing worse than getting to the end result of what you thought was going to be this pinnacle moment and realizing actually it wasn't i was chasing i was i was climbing the wrong bloody ladder or the wrong wall right like i put this ladder on this wall and i'm just on the wrong wall um and i've seen that so many times with leaders um you know because we get it's difficult i mean man like as you know like leaders have to put out fires. I've got so much going on. They've got like, they're pulled in a thousand and one directions. Everyone's telling them this or that. And 
you know, they've got stakeholders, they've got employees, they've got, you know, I mean, my, my God, like, you know, there's just so much that's going on. And that's why I think just getting the internal compass right, even if it's not perfect, because it never will be, you're we're ever evolving, adapting creatures, just getting a little bit of those, those in, internal principles, right? Like, okay, I now understand why I get really triggered by this, because actually it steps on one of my values. Oh, I really understand why I'm really drawn to this kind of work because it really brings me alive in this way. Just getting a little bit more aware of that so that you can go and then step into the world, I think it gives you a much better chance to serve in a bigger way. That, that's just that's just how I feel. In terms of serving in a bigger way, I've heard you mention in the past you're on a, on a mission to put yourself out of business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... Um, so here's the crazy thing, right? Like probably people already heard about this, but if they haven't, I'll, I'll bore you with it again. Um, in 2011, Gallup did a study, uh, one of the biggest studies conducted around understanding employee engagement around the world. And they found that 87% of employees worldwide are emotionally disconnected. And there was a further study in the UK that found that one in three people find that their work is meaningless. And I was, and I was just like, this is mad. And, I've, and I was an employee for 10 years. I've worked in corporates and in, in charities and non-for-profit education and I just don't understand how, why is it that when we're in a workplace, we suddenly act differently than we would in, in anywhere else in the world in terms of how we treat people. And so I kind of looked at the stat and I said, 87 people, 87% people, you know, feel emotionally disconnected. That is crazy. That shouldn't be the case. So I went off on the mission to try and eradicate career misery in the workplace and to try and create cultures of belonging, cultures of curiosity, cultures of diversity, where we get to celebrate each other and bring our A-game and level up and help with our blind spots and just become more whole humans, right? Like basically human first, employee yeah. second mentality. And um, and I say I want to be put out of a job because I don't want to have to do this. It, I, I don't want to have to go into companies and have to talk about this on a regular basis because we shouldn't have. It's the same thing like when I used to work at November as a country manager. I would wanted us to be out of a job because I would want prostate cancer and men to stop killing themselves. Right. Like I, I wish that we didn't have to exist as a charity. That's kind of a, that was my mentality. But we've got to we've got to because until we don't, we've got to be here. And it's the same thing with this with this concept. When I go into companies, I go, I don't have to be here, but I'll be here until I need to be right. Like there's this great quote. Um, I forgot who it is, but it's like, do not be afraid of the work that has no end. And so my higher purpose around this by just being real is I've got two kids now. I've got a daughter and a son and I'm not going to be here forever. I hope I'll be here for as long as I can. I hope I'll have a long, prosperous life and touch wood and I grow in my old age and wise and, and grumpy and funny and all this stuff, right? But should anything happen to me, I want to know that I've helped shape leaders who've created organizations where I know my kids would be treated fairly, with respect, with care, with attention and support. And so my goal is to try and shape as many of these companies and organizations as I can so that whenever the time comes, I don't have to fear for my kids to be mistreated at work. Or I don't have to fear for my kids to dread going to work on Monday morning. That's why. So that's why I want to be out of job. When you think about what happened to COVID, BLM last year, and the workplace yeah. in general, how things are right now, do you think things are going to change for the better with work from home with organize some companies saying you can't work for home at all the whole back and forth as well as cultures mm. in general and people's attitudes in general you think things are going to change mm. 
wow. Okay, let me unpack that. Um, okay, so I remember going through organizations over the last few years because I used to do a lot of work around millennials in the workplace. So I used to do a lot around millennial leadership, how to better engage and lead millennials in the workplace because, you know, meaning purpose is kind of a logical fit with that. Um, and I remember talking about how, you know, some studies were coming out about the future of work and how remote working was going to become much more prolific. And there was a lot of resistance around that. And if I've got to be honest, and if I had to boil it down, and I would be real with people around this in, in, in events, right? I actually think it boils down to yeah. trust. A few things, right? Fear, but unknown, but really trust. I think it's like, for a lot of people, it's, I find it difficult to manage at best of times. If I can't see my people, then how the hell do I know they're actually doing the job? So organizations and leaders and managers around the world were absolutely forced to accelerate that process. And they didn't have the tools in place. They weren't ready. They didn't have the infrastructure. Most of them, not every organization, but most organizations just got slapped in the face. I know this because I pivoted last year in April. My talks were no longer about how to better lead and engage in the workplace. My talks were how to stay productive, connected, and optimistic during a global lockdown. And so I delivered that. That's what saved my business the whole last year because that's what I was running in organizations. And so very quickly what I understood is that so you absolutely can create psychological safety and connection remotely, but it does take an extra set of tools. And the world as we know it will never be the same. That I believe. I think this idea that we're attached to the previous world that we used to live in, and I don't think that's ever going to be the same. It can't be the same. The same way that a war changes you, the same way that a traumatic event changes you. This is a traumatic event, whether you people are getting it on board or not. We will have PTSD from this. If it's unprocessed, we're all going to come out of this and looking back at some point and it's going to, and it's going to show up. That's what I believe. Um, but the other thing is, I think it's also a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to, to, to test the culture, to test how much you trust your people, to test your leadership. Because... Noah Kagan, right? Like a former guest on my show, um, really interesting dude who's the founder of App Sumo and the App Company, uh, the Sumo Company. Um, he said, I thought this was really interesting. He said, Why would I spend $90,000 a month, whatever it was, on rent for a, for a big office when we could mostly work remotely, rent out one day a week an office space where we can all come and gather and meet up? And then subsidize people's rents and mortgages instead. And I thought, man, that's like a whole new way of thinking, right? Like, and I think that's what's exciting about disruption is that it, it causes reinvention. And, and I think there are some very exciting things around this, right? I think people are thinking like, okay, well now maybe 80-20 or 50-50 or people like now going teams, team A is going to come Monday, Wednesday, Friday, team B is going to come Tuesday, you know. There's like, there's lots of different innovative ways of doing it. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, we are an extremely social creature. We're the most social ape on the planet, by far, right? And so we crave social interactions. There was a, a, a Oxford University a research by Dunbar, Professor Dunbar, that was made around primates. And primates who groom themselves uh, release a chemical neuron of like connection and unity. That's why a lot of the times they do that. We have the exact same chemical response when we're around humans. So it's actually for our well-being to be surrounded by other fellow humans. So I don't think we're going to live, unless we have to because of, you know, global pandemic or whatever, 
I don't think the future looks like everyone's working from home 100% of the time. I don't think that's necessarily healthy. I don't think that's necessarily wanted. But I do believe that there's going to be a much more flexible approach to work. And it's going to force organizations to look deeply into how do we lead remotely? How do we how do we inspire and engage when we're not in the same room? How do we come together? And for a lot of us who've used to being working remotely, it's it's business as usual. Like I left in 2016 and over the years, I've had freelancers kind of join the team and they've been based in Budapest, in uh, Malaysia, in uh, Philadelphia, in California, New York. So I've only known remote teams for my for my company. Um, and it works. Like some of the foundational principles are the same. It's like, do you have a clear vision? Do you have a strong enough mission to drive people to be excited? Are uh, and man, we haven't got time to get into this, but I, man, I could spend I spent a whole hour talking about this. But what you what you need to do when you were living in a, when you're working remotely is that you need to make the things that were trivial and spontaneous. You need to make them implicit and intentional. Um, what I mean by that is the coffee machine. It's a stupid example, but coffee machine is a place where you would go there and say, "Hey, how's it going?" You check in the day, Walk have a quick, quick chit chat. Hey. There you go. Yeah, and it's just like, hey, how's your mum doing? I remember you said that, you know, she, how she, yeah, fine, and no, no, no. So you, you have these moments that we've, we've, we took for granted. We really did. And then now when we go into Zoom fatigue, people are just exhausted, right? There's a great interesting study from an INSEAD professor, Jean Piero, around Zoom fatigue and why are we all feeling exhausted on Zoom and this idea that we shouldn't, that we should have a camera on us 24-7 for eight hours a day is super intense. Um. But the, what I say to clients is I say, you need to make non-work conversations intentional. So I'll give you an example. When I used to work with Riley McGee, he was my um, COO for a, for a year and two, two years. Ago. Amazing guy uh, who's now gone off to join a startup. He, um, he and I used to have like two hour catch ups every week, right? Every Wednesday for two, two hours, two and a half. The first 45 minutes at least were just chatting about how we were doing. That was it. No work on the agenda. Like we, had, we, had, we had a clear agenda. It was usually, I think we had 20 minutes scheduled in to just, just catch up. How are you doing? What's up? Without having to coach, without having to judge, just... Like I worked with a CEO of this amazing organization. I've got some of the products here. Um, and one of the things I help, you know, helped introduce in that organization was around one word check-in before the start of a meeting. Just something really simple. Without having to judge, like, I'm really tired. So we'd like, I'm stressed, my kids are, cool. I'm really excited about Monday's new thing, great. Like just getting an opportunity to just connect, oops, sorry, and tune in. I know this sounds silly, but we we take it for granted. And and when fortunately, when, when it comes down to remote leadership and management and creating culture remotely, you've got to be super intentional. One word check-in is, is one I've I've got to I've got used to recently. It's a company I work I work mm. with and they've been doing this for years. And first time they did it, and as I was part of it, I was like, "What's going on here?" But then you get used to it because it actually makes because they're checking at the start and they're checking right at the end with the word like, "How are you feeling after this?" And it yes. makes such a yes. massive difference because in one word yes. you're forced to summarize how are you. And what I found at the back of that is after those meetings. You now have people reaching out to you depending on what you said, like, oh, what's going on with you? And sure. then it leads into further conversations. And then you take it to another yeah. another level and you keep that connection going with other people and keep them interacting that way. So I definitely 
subscribe to that and definitely hope people actually get involved because that's a very simple but effective way of actually understanding where people are at and how they're feeling around things. Yeah, and, and without having to distill it with coaching, you can do that with your clients. If, if people listen to this are coaches, I do this with clients, like one word, check it. One word, check out. So. And, and you see, and, you, and you, without having to go like, you know, sad. Okay, cool. And then you can make the decision, right? If you've got an agenda, you stick to the agenda. If you want to make time for that, you can. But I just find it super powerful. There's just like the one example, but, um, and this sounds crazy, right? But <laughs> my ego hates this. But uh, when I run sessions for organizations remotely on Zoom, I do a lot of breakout rooms, right? I organize a, break, a lot of breakout rooms for them. That's their favorite part. Not me. Not me speaking or, or dropping like knowledge bombs or, or like, you know, challenging their way of thinking. No, it's like, oh, that was so nice to just be with like one other person or two other people in a breakout room. And and I realized like, my God, so that's just what people want. They yeah. just want connection. They just want moments of small intimacy and and because uh, intimacy stands for into me see like like you see into me and so um and so that's just what people are craving so i i need to learn to get out of the way and just go hey we're just gonna spend an hour but you're gonna spend pretty much 40 <laughs> minutes in breakout rooms i'm just gonna chaperone this whole party and um yeah hope you have a good time <laughs> that, that's what i do now and they love it like the feedback's gone even off the roof and so just like okay cool it's like, it's like going to going to a pro and chaperone you're just there to, just to make sure that everything's running smoothly and then you fall back and you just watch <laughs> that's right that's right 100 percent. how do you um define what leadership means to you it's based on the experience you have working with mm. leaders founders and your, your previous as well wow oh leadership means to me oh my god it's like it's such a it's such a paradox because it's about being really really clear about who we are right so well actually i'll speak to that so it's really really clear about who i am um how i show up in the world and how to navigate the impact and response of of who i am and what i do and meaning, it, it, it's kind of like, as leaders, we have an impact, and it can be an intended impact, and it can be an, intent, an unintended impact. And we get feedback, and what we do with that feedback is up to us. And I feel like there's this real juggle constantly between daring to know, daring to see, daring to believe, daring to hope, with also adjusting, holding adapting and that paradigm shift ultimately can we do that from a place of love as in can we continue to love ourselves while we're navigating the messiness of leadership because that i find is if you can love yourself and i know this is going a little bit woo but if you can appreciate yourself and love yourself while you're messing up and learning and adapting then i think that's true leadership because you know we talk about people will follow a leader who's always real over a leader who's always right. And leadership takes an immense amount of humility, huge amount of humility. Um, and there's so much bravery in leadership, but also that also includes being a servant leader, right? And people are interested. There's, there's a great book called the Coactive leadership model, which is effective the five models of leadership. Um, leader from the front, leader from the back, leader from the side, leader from the space, leader from within. And it's like these five dimensions are really interesting. Like I used to work a little bit with leaders around this. 
um, and it's effectively knowing that as a leader, you're constantly navigating between these five dimensions. A leader doesn't mean that you're at the forefront of the battle shouting and screaming and marching on, right? You could like, as parents, we often find ourselves as leaders from the back, championing, believing. Course, yeah. Like as coaches, we often find ourselves, right? It's kind of like, you got this, right? Uh, leaders from the front, it's like, we've got this. We can do this. Come with me. I believe in you. Let's go and let's go and do this. Leader from the side is it's your co-parent. It's your co-founder, right? It's your it's your it's your partner in an equal that we're saying, hey, are we still connected? Are we still aligned with where we're going? Cool, let's go. Leader from the field is around what's in the space, what's needed. Hey, I'm, I know that we're going to go and do this, but hey, this is coming. Are we paying attention to this? What else is in the space? What's in the field? And leader from the within is like, how do I show up authentically, unapologetically, but with kindness? And so, you know, and, and I we're coming at the end of the interview. So my four words that I live by and that I sign off all my emails on is be true, be brave, be kind, and let it rip. And those are the four attributes that I believe make true leadership. Because be true, it's be true to who you are, be true to your word, be true to your desires, be true to what is needed, be brave, have the courage to be all these things, have the courage to speak up on things that need to be spoken to, have the courage to stand up for things that will make you unpopular, have the courage to be too early on your time to be popular, be kind, that is, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, it's not about being nice, but being about being kind, and let it rip is screw the rules. Screw what everything's been done before. Let it rip. Have fun. Be yourself. Sing your song. Don't go to your grave with your song and song. Those four words encapsulate everything I believe about leadership. What a powerful, powerful way to capture what leadership really, really means. And there's a book um, I wanted to read actually. It's called Navigating Polarities. Because something you just touched on mm. there talks around navigating two different things which are opposites but both good for you and have yes. the bad sides for you. And it's a really, really brilliant book that yes. I definitely recommend people to read or to touch on that bit more. Thank you for it. Yeah, I'll check and, that out. And um, I guess the, before we actually wrap up, where can people find you and find stuff more about you? More? Yeah, so I mean, the easiest is probably um, either at marklarus.com. That's M-A-R-K-L-E-R-U-S-T-E.com or theunconventionalists.com. And uh, what I tend to invite people to do is join join my email list just purely because I, I riff every week on stuff that comes up for me, whether that's my mom giving me negative feedback on a piece that I wrote out and I'd say about how that shows, <laughs> why that shows up for the well for everyone. Or I just share like an episode of podcast I listen that I really love and you can find all those on my websites. Um, and then obviously at Mark Roos on every social media platform. I know people are going to ask me when this book coming out. <laughs> I'm going to put you in the spot. <laughs> Man, yeah. So, no, true. I'll, I'll be super transparent. Um, so, you know this whole thing about not owning our desires, like the way we started the yeah. conversation, right, about the award? I was playing small and I got called out. Um, uh, I got called out by a friend. Um, and uh, and she said, by Jody, I'm going to give a shout out to her. She was like, why are you playing so small? Like, you should be going, you know, you have everything and you should be going for big publishers. And so I got a publishing deal, which is amazing. It's on the table. It's always there. I have a great relationship with the publisher and they're really interested. So that's there. But I've now signed up with a book agent wow. and a literary agent, which is pretty cool. And so the literary agent's going around to shop 
the proposal around to see if any of the big major publishers are interested. And so I'm at that stage. So we're in the moment of shopping around, getting interest. I'm speaking with different pretty cool publishers. So once that that is found and agreed, the bad news is that it's a really long, it's a really long process. Traditional publishing is 18 months. So if I sign a deal before the summer, we're looking at 2022 for the book to come out. Wow. So up until then, people check out my newsletter. I'll be emailing and journaling about this whole journey. But here's the thing, though. This is evergreen. I am not in a hurry. I am not afraid of the work that has no end. This, is, this, this work will be as relevant in 2022 as it is today, right? We're not going to magically solve everyone's issues around fear of imposter syndrome and self-doubt and insecurity about showing up and stepping up as leaders in our worlds by 2022. I'm pretty confident that nothing's going to come in between then and dramatically shift yeah. everything. My book's going to be part of the solution, right? Like it'll be, it'll be a part of lots of different things. But yeah, so the book, if, if it goes out that way, and for whatever reason, if I decide last minute, that actually, no, I want to self-publish, then that's a much shorter uh, runway. That is usually nine months. Okay. So that would be 2021. Which is to be fair, 2021, 2022 has both been brilliant times for to get the book out anyway, because... By next year, yeah. things will start to open back up again. Gives you that runway to try and promote it a bit more and get it out. Yeah, well. yeah. And I think you know what what's interesting is this book is even more relevant now that people realise they need to step up online because it's going to be a world of lots of digital now. A lot of people like you know it's funny. I was laughing about this. Like a lot of traditional businesses going towards small entrepreneurs and online business owners to try and understand how to navigate online stuff, right? So it's like it feels like a lot of online entrepreneurs have had like a head start on that. Um, but yeah, it's exci- I'm excited, man. I'm, the more I talk about it, and this is the first time I talked about it on another, someone else's podcast. I've talked a lot about it behind the scenes to a friend, authors, and and a lot of people are excited about the project, you know. And, and when publishers, agents get excited about something, you know you're onto something. Whether it's crystallized or finalized, it's yet to be determined. And what the final product will be is anyone's guess. But I just know this matters, man. And, and I know that, again, you know, we go back to strong, strong whys and strong purposes. If anything happens to me, Touchwood never does. But I want someone to give this book to my kids and say, hey, in moments of doubts, in moments of fears, read your dad's book because he's got a few gems in here that's going to help you on your journey. Knowing that is a legacy piece for me, then, man, everything else is like, it's bonus. Powerful. I also just want to say thank you. About two, two years ago, I reached out to, to Mark and saw him speak. I'm like, Mark, I want to start a podcast. And he was just about to roll out his um, his online for bootcamp for yeah. the podcast, and he sent it to me, and yeah. I did it. And when I eventually got going, I used a lot of that knowledge to be like, right, I want to do this, and yeah. so it made a massive difference. And what you have here is down to him because he helped me out a lot <laughs> with the message, with the message that he actually shared. And there's so many things that Mark does um, that he's mentioned from his bootcamps to his courses, newsletter definitely recommend. It's always a good read when I when I get it, and his podcast obviously you know it's brilliant. I highly, highly recommend it as well. So really, really appreciate you. Appreciate your time today. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. It's Everyday Leadership. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Leadership. You can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward slash podcast, where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them. You can listen to old episodes. Or if you have a question about this episode or any other episodes, you can just press a button and ask me that question and I'll answer it on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, share this podcast with someone else. We'll see you next time on Everyday Leadership.